Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about two versions, two classics, dare I say. Um, we're talking about The Shop Around the Corner, directed by uh, Ernst Lubitsch yes. in 1940. With uh, James Stewart, Mar- uh, uh, Margaret Sullivan, Margaret Frank Sullivan. Morgan. And you've got Mail, yes. famously known as a remake of The Shop Around the Corner. Yes. And in fact, the little bookshop owned by Meg Ryan's character is called The Shop Around the Corner. So that's Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. And the fundamental similarity that the films share is these two people are having a correspondence in 1940, it's uh, pen pals, and in 1998 it's over uh, email mm. and AOL Instant Messenger, as it was at the time. And they happen to know each other in real life. They don't know who they are anonymously, and they get on very well in their anonymous correspondence and not very well in real life. Which is another similarity. Well, that is the central... I'd say that's the central similarity. Okay, well, in that case, it has more. Yeah. Yeah, it has moments of dialogue that repeat. It has the whole sequence where uh, they're waiting to meet each other on their first date. Uh, uh, The the male protagonist knows who the female protagonist is Mm -hmm. and not the other way, and that's a central kind of turning point in the story. Yeah, exactly. You know, structurally, it is really based. It's a remake... It is. You know. It's acknowledged as a remake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the original film was based on a play. The Um, original film was based on a play, and actually there's a version in the good old summertime with Judy Garland and Van Johnson. mm -hmm. I think that was late 40s, 48, 49. Uh, And then there was a Broadway musical in 63 called She Loves Me, Mm -hmm. which is also based on this. But actually, I think it's all based on the shop around the corner. Yeah, because... um, you know, that was the massive success. Yeah, yeah. it was a huge hit. It um, made, you were looking at the figures, it made yeah, how much money? It, it made over $3 million on a $500,000 budget, yeah. In 1940? In 1940. So uh, that was a very, very big hit for the period. The, the reason I say that the central similarity is the thing about the relationship, and you're right to point out that there are structural similarities that, that run through it. Um, but actually, I have seen Shop Around the Corner before. I hadn't seen... You've got mail before, and rewatching Shop Around Corners we did just now, mm. it made me realise that the romantic story is much much smaller uh, as a kind of proportion of Shop Around the Corner than it is in You've Got, You've got Mail. It is the whole thing, and everything feeds into it. In this, there's a lot going on with Mr. Manichette, the guy who runs the shop, and his relationship with his wife. All the all the um, peripheral characters have much bigger roles and their own stories. Well, I mean, that is part of why I think it's a vastly superior film. You know, so, um, I mean, I don't know how you want to deal with this, because <laughs> I think You've Got Mail, to me, is very charming and enjoyable, you know, and I really like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in it. Uh, you know, and I love the location. I mean, the film is as much about New York as it is about anything else, you know. Uh, but it's A, very narrow. Yeah, it is It is about them meeting and falling in love. Uh, and also, it's ideologically suspect in a way that this one isn't, right? It's all about reconciling kind of big business it's kind you know it's saying you know big business is inevitable you know it's going to kind of kill off all the small businesses and we have to be for it rather than it being a critique of it which i think is really unacceptable you know so so the reason why i think 
that The Shop Around the Corner is a vastly superior film is because of what you mentioned, that it is about so many things. You know, it's about a middle-aged man, yeah, who finds out that his wife doesn't want to grow old with him, you know, and the sadness that he has about that, right? It's about living in a time where people are desperate to keep their job, yeah, and where people are, like, almost fainting from hunger and don't have enough to eat, yeah. Uh, you know, the desperation that you see in people both wanting to get the job, yeah, like in the Margaret Sullivan character, and then holding on to their job, like Pirovich, <laughs> yeah, who has got a family, who's got to support him, because of that he has to put up with all this shit, you know, from this boss, yeah. Um, you know, that's a story. It's about a culture in which people have to pay for doctors, yeah. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and it's a worry and it's a concern, right? There's so many things going on. It's about, you know, people also selling themselves for money, right? The whole point of um, the Vadash character is, you know, he's a gigolo, but why is he a gigolo? Why is he going out with this old woman for money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, all, all of that is superior. I think that the romantic story is inferior oh, I to You've Got Mail. I, I think I think, it, I think it benefits in You've Got Mail from being the focus. Uh, I, I disagree. I was very moved uh, by it. Uh, I was moved by so many aspects of it in a way that, you know, I, uh, You've Got Mail doesn't uh, move me. Uh, and also, I think, you know, Margaret Sullivan, I mean, you know, and, and James Stewart, for that matter, you know, kind of um, the way that Margaret Sullivan reads that letter, you know, da 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 da, da yeah, and then he says this, and all the facial gestures that she does with it are just like sublime, yeah. And there are moments, even you know, when she goes into the mailbox and she touches the sides, yeah, and then she looks in to see there's no letter. You feel like, mm. you know, her crushed, right? Um, and also, very importantly, uh, it's gender balanced at a time when that wasn't even a consideration. Whereas actually the problem with You've Got Mail is it's all on his side, right? So, you know, the shop around the corner has that beautiful ending, which is almost cruel, the way that you expect people to be cruel, actually, where he says, oh, you know, I've met uh, Matthias, uh, his name is Popkin, Popkin, first deflation. Right. Then he's overweight. Second deflection. He's being so mean. Right. And then, oh, he's going to need your wages to live on. Right. So he makes her go through all of that, which is quite mean. Mm -hmm. Right. But then she's got the last word. Right. Like, show me your legs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the decision is hers. Well, right? yes, I quite agree with this. This is something I want to get onto because I think one of the real problems I have with You've Got Mail, which I didn't actually enormously get on with, is that Joe Fox, F-O-X, mm. is a dick. Mm. And I really don't like him. And I think this... I was, so I was very keen to revisit Shop Around the Corner to see you know, mm. how that relationship's handled because was he a dick in the original? And in some sense, in some to some degree, he is a dick in the same sorts of ways, but he's much more of a dick in You've Got Mail. So, they, so for instance, as you say, they share... The, the film shared the thing of uh, the guy discovers before the girl... That he, you know, he he uncovers the identity. He knows, and it happens outside the cafe where he's with his friend. In this, it's I forget the actor's name, um, but it's James Stewart. No, no, the friend. Um, oh, uh, that is uh, Felix Pressard. 
who he, plays Pirovich. Yeah, he's the guy who said it'll be a terrific laugh. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> um, in to be or not to be. In to be or not to be. So he's with the friend. Uh, he, so he's the friend in that, and it's Dave Chappelle in You've Got Mail, yes. and the the guy is there going, just take a look at her. Say, tell me if she's hot or if she's ugly, and they have a look, and then and then the line comes out. Oh, if you don't like the name of the girl, you're not going to like this girl. Why? Because it is this girl. And upon discovering that, your man goes into the cafe pretending to just, oh, happen, happen to see you here, and starts basically being mean to the girl, you know, teasing her, but she has no idea. She's expecting this guy to come. He invites himself into a conversation with her. In both films, I find that a really cruel, mean thing to do, and not charming. And I think the films want you to feel that it's that it's funny... And I, and I really don't. Well... The films share that. They also share a very different turning point. Yeah? Yeah. Because I think, you know, uh, uh, the idea of uh, Alfred Kralik, the James Stewart character, is that he's going to reveal himself. And she's just being too impatient. She's too nervous. Mm. And you understand her. And you understand him. Because he is going to reveal himself. And then there's that moment where you really feel his pain. Yeah, where he yeah. says, you insignificant little clerk, right? Mm. And that is, like, completely mean and crushing. She what? Yeah? She's so mean, right? You know, and that's when he, you know... Decides not to. Yeah, and he just leaves, I mean, you know. Mm. Because actually, he is just a clerk, and, you know, he is insignificant. And if she can't, you know, go for him, yeah, then she's... She's right, yeah? Yeah. So, But it's a very cruel thing to say. Right. Sure. And and in You've Got Mail, the line is, because he's a huge business owner in that, who's threatening to swallow her company yes. um, and put her out of business, which he, in the end, does. Um, and the line is more along the lines of, you're a, you're a broken person inside, you know, being a big businessman. But I still think it's a basically a cruel thing to do, the way that the men um, handle that scene in both films. But as it goes on, um, Joe in You've Got Mail carries on for ages and really appears to take some glee and the relationship interpersonally between Joe and uh, I forget the character's name Meg Ryan's character is much more vile than mm. it is between the two of them in the shop around the corner and you know you, re- you really feel the sparks going between they do not like each other at all and he really really takes some glee in kind of lording over her you know, kind of, kind of what he knows, and teasing her about this guy who didn't show up, and so on and so forth. But then he turns into ingratiating himself into her company when it when it gets to you know you should tell him this, and they start hanging out, and they keep quote unquote bumping into each other. Shall we bump into each other tomorrow, and so on? It's, I think, gaslighting is going too far, but it's cruel, manipulative behaviour. It's dishonest, and by the end, when he reveals himself to her through the dog, you know, mm. whatever the name is, Barkley or whatever, and she realises it's him, and she goes, I wanted it to be you, I wanted it to yeah. be you so badly, you're going, why? Why, yeah. You hate this guy, yeah. and, and, and even if you started to like him through this manipulative sort of campaign he was waiting on you for the last sort of act of the film... Once it's revealed that, you know, okay, you may have suspected it and wanted it, but once it's revealed that he was lying, why would you be okay with that? It's really not nice. No. And I don't buy it at all. No. I buy it more in this. It's much more gentle in this. Yes. And actually their relationship, you know, like I say, they're they're not going at each other to nearly the extent that they are and you've got mail. No, and they're very considerate and you have more background. 
So, you know, throughout the film, you know, you sense his attraction towards her, really from the beginning. You know, and then she reveals that, you know, you could have swept me off my feet, right? Yeah. And we get an explanation as to why she behaved the way that she did, right? Because she wanted to hook him, and she thought the way of doing it was to behave like an actress. (laughs) Right? You know, so, so, and then you see the gentleness in uh, the James Stewart character, actually, you know, when she's ill and he's concerned and, yeah, kind of, there is... I mean, it's a much more rounded kind of depiction of 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 people entering a relationship, mm. yeah, kind of, which is full of misunderstandings and so on. But it's also full of feeling. You understand what draws them to each other, right? And actually, why they belong with each other, yeah, and why they'll have a kind of, you know, a sparky, tension-filled but loving <laughs> relationship after, right? Yeah, you know. Whereas. I mean, you know, the thing that um, upset is the wrong word, but um, put me off You've Got Mail, and I do find it very charming. But it's the sense where, you know, to explain their relationship, one of the characters tells her, you know, I knew you would end up together or something like that because, you know, he's so ruthless, and the only person I know more ruthless than him is you. And you think, really? Mm. Yeah, I mean, kind of... As if that's a good thing? And also, she's... she's. I mean, she's not. Yeah. Do you see her being ruthless, really? No. Actually, I think what she, what she uh, sort of exemplifies is something that really I don't... It, maybe the reason I don't get on with a lot of romantic comedies of sort of this era onward, you know, of kind of like, I suppose, when Harry met Sally onward, is, is the women being... Oh, if you compare it to the films of, like, the 1940s, the women are much more wily. They're bolder. They have more agency. They're more empowered. Yes. Um, they are. There's much more uh, kind of equality uh, in the dynamics between the men and the women. In fact, it may even be more uh, sort of female heavy. You know, with the especially in the screwball. Well, actually, I think um, the thing is that you in those in this film, for example, you you know there's a disparity in gender. You know that the men make more money and that they have more power. Right, socially and in terms of money. Like, I mean, it's very obvious in this film. Uh, but also, you know, when you're looking at uh, Clara, you know, you know that she's a poor working girl who's supporting her mother and her aunt, right? And they live alone and mm-hmm. that's the desperation for the job. She's a working woman. And she's a working woman who's worked at all of these different places and who's had to leave all of those different places. And you know why. Right. When she says, oh, I worked in uh, uh, Novak uh, and Sons or whatever, you know, uh, or Novak Brothers and Sons. And, you know, the brothers were fine, but that or no, the sons were fine, but the brothers. Right. Like, Mm. yeah, I kind of, you know, she is constantly being sexually harassed. Right. So so kind of the film brings out or the shop around the corner brings out all of those elements. It also brings out that wildness I just mentioned, where she, when she gets the job, because she, she's desperate for the job, and, oh, she's not going to happen, and then she takes on the, the singing cigarette box, yes. the musical cigarette box, and sells it to the woman yeah, uh, by, you know, finding a selling point for it, and then marking up the price enormously, and yeah. the woman, you know. So yeah. and that, that speaks to... You can't imagine Meg Ryan's character doing something like that. Yeah. And you wonder how she's running a bookshop that makes $350,000 a year. Yes. <laughs> I, so so what I prefer is, well, first of all, the class basis. I mean, you know, kind of uh, The Shop Around the Corner is, a, is a, a film for working people. 
you know it is about working people right and it kind of it doesn't look at the bosses negatively you know but it also very uh, clearly demonstrates they have all the power right like mm -hmm. you know there's no two ways about it right so it's kind of clear-headed uh, about that it shows all of the interrelationships amongst these characters uh you know it's kind of and aside from everything else it's got like you know a million jokes that work terrifically mm. you know i want your honest opinion and actually it does almost jokes on every level possible right it does so through the repetition through lines of dialogue uh through physical things through actually the tone of voice yeah kind of when frank morgan's saying yeah uh, you know, is it too much to ask? <laughs> it's like, I ask my employees and he does it in a raised voice. And then a customer comes in and he says, what can I do for you in a soft voice? And then as soon as he leaves, the timing of that is terrific. He raises his voice again. Yeah. Mm, yeah. He does visual comedy when he hides himself behind the, re the cash register. Mm. Yeah, when he's talking on the phone. It's like every variety of joke imaginable, practically, you get. Though I do think that um, the way that it's uh, sort of shot and visually conceptualized really belies or portrays whichever the word is its um origin as a play i, I think I, I mean i think you 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 mentioned on facebook last night that you were watching you've got mail and then a whole conversation erupted and you know so it's a film that obviously people have a relationship with it means a lot to people them. love this film yeah and one of the things that you said at one point is not a single a remarkable shot or yeah. not a single poetic shot something like that yeah, right it which I have a, yeah, which I think is true if you've got mail, but I think that's also true of uh, the shop around the corner. You see, honestly. I don't think so, because I mean, there's a few shots. So the thing about uh, Lubitsch is, you know, he's not somebody who's show offy with images, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, so he's not like Orson Welles who will do a tour de force with a sweeping camera or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But actually, he creates images that are very, very memorable and very um, moving, yeah? So I mentioned that shot of Margaret Sullivan with her hand in the post box and yeah. then with her eye. Yeah, we see her through the other side of the post box. That's true. I mean, that's an amazing image. The lopsided Christmas tree, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you know, I think an amazing image. The shot of the suicide, which you just see off screen, yeah, with a light crashing. Mm. That to me is like kind of really memorable. It's an amazing way of not showing you something. Sure. Um, I, I, I love the way that um, James Stewart is sexualized in this, right? Because he's not a very sexy man. And yet you look at the way that he's filmed in this, right? And you notice his eyelashes or the light is always hitting his lip or, yeah, kind mm. of, you know, there's an attention to the image, actually, uh, in, in this film. Um, so I think, I think he does have a lot of uh, poetic imagery. You know, the, the I mean, if you just compare the way that the conversation in the cafe is filmed, you know, it's staged in each of the films, you'll see how Lubitsch, without drawing attention to himself, is doing amazing things. Yeah, the conversation back to back. Well, Lub well that, that is repeated in uh, You've Got Mail as well. Well, They do yeah. say back to back and you have a shot. But look at the shots, though. No. Uh, well, go on then. I don't remember, you know, that uh, tightness of the shot kind of, you know, beautifully composed in a medium close-up, yeah, with them talking to each other and, and facing in, in other directions. You see it in I've Got Mail in a, in a wider shot and at a slight angle, which doesn't have the same effect. 
uh, we'd have to go back and check the, the actual shot, which I'm not you know, that interested in doing right now. But I remember in You've Got Mail it being, uh, when he goes to sit down behind her, I do remember there being the same symmetrical side-on shots, but I think maybe it then goes into cutting between their faces, which mm. it doesn't hear. One thing that I really do like about the way that this is shot and edited is um, how much single take there is. Yes. It allows you to see the performance, especially, especially with a roving camera as well that moves through the shop. Um, I, I really like You get to see the performances, but I also do think that means that the, the opportunity for... Uh, kind of more interesting compositions is maybe lost to some degree. So, some of it, it's none of it is ugly or anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't go that far at all. But um, that some of it is really uh, plain. That sounds very cruel. Well, but, you know, just no, people stood pl- there for plain, the camera to. No, plain, plain is a good is a good way of describing this. But plain for me, as in just right, mm. you know. And actually, I think you've hit on it. You know, so in a way, the original shop around the corner is based on a play, but the camera's always moving and creating rhythms and speeding up and slowing down. The ending, yeah, which is done in a series of long takes punctuated by the shutting of a light, is beautiful, right? That moment where Margaret Sullivan hears that, you know, she's going to be supporting this fat old (laughs) man called Popkin, and she sits down and the camera goes down with her. Mm. And you get a sense that her life has been extinguished. It's so expressive as a shot, mm. right? So you're not looking at some razzle-dazzle-like image, but actually everything's just right. Yeah, the jokes that repeat. By the third time when they say, I want your honest opinion, you don't even need to see Pirovich's face. His feet going back up the stairs is enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that is genius filmmaking. You know, it doesn't have to, like, uh, do fireworks for you. No, sure. I think that's all fair. Can I say one thing that I think is genuinely better handled than You've Got Mail than this, which mm. I think is actually very poorly handled in this, is um, the sequence, or in this actually it's just a shot, a uh, long take, um, where they're outside the restaurant, outside the cafe, looking in. Because in this, in the shop around the corner, it's handled in a single shot. You don't get any cut into the girl they're looking at, you know, or the girl he's looking at, and then mm. reveals... Whereas that's what you get in You've Got Mail, right? He's he's looking through the window and you get the eyeline shot, you mm-hmm. know, uh, looking at Meg Ryan and then it's revealed that it's Meg Ryan. Um, and you cut back out. Whereas in this, just in one take, you just see the two of them stood outside. And I, I think you need the shot of her. You're, like, you're just relying on the dialogue here. Oh, it, it looks like her. Oh, it is her. You, I think you need to see what they're seeing. Well, I don't agree. And I completely... I, I really think that. And um, because actually, the, the other part is in this, in the shop around the corner... Um, that's the revelation that this is the girl. You don't. You may well suspect that beforehand. In fact, maybe there were trailers where it was part of the selling point. But you know that's supposed to be the revelation in this. You're not told before then concretely. Oh, it's Margaret but, Sullivan. Whereas you know from the start, and you've got mail. That's who the they problem. Are. I think that's the problem with you've got mail because actually, I think the conversation between Kralik and Pirovich, you know, just the rhythms of it, you know, is funnier than it is you know, in uh, You've Got Mail. And for me, it has to do with that. Well, it is her, you know. Yeah, but I think you need the insert, because at that point, I, this is at that point, this is the film confirming to you as the audience no, that this is her. I don't agree. I think I'm going, I need to see it, show me. Really? No, is but, it her? but actually, that's part of the way that the film creates tension and so on, because you don't see it until he tells it. And then immediately after he tells it, you see it. No, you don't. 
That's that's what I'm saying. You don't. When he says it looks like her, oh, it is her. You don't get an insert. What happens no, is I, I agree that we don't get an insert, but eventually he goes in. Yeah, eventually he goes in her. and see her. But it's not. But again, it should be. I think. I think it needs a shot there. I think it needs an insert there. Well, I don't because you you actually know it. You know beforehand, he's writing letters. She's writing letters. You know, so I think you don't need that, and uh, and you don't get it. But what you do get is a series of rhythms that land as a joke. Uh, and you know, kind of a much better joke than 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 in you've got mail. So I don't agree with that either. I well, I mean, the joke is the same in you've got mail, and I don't think it works any worse in you've got mail. I think I think it does. Uh, I think the timing is better, and I think part of the reason why the timing is better is because there's no cuts. Mm. I disagree. I, mean, I, I just I disagree. I really think I was missing that that I was missing that shot there that just confirms. Oh, this is what he's seeing. Um, I I think that is missing from that from that version. Well, of, what I really hate about the one in You've Got Mail is the reaction of Joe Fox, who starts celebrating. Yes, she's hot. Oh, like the most important thing in the world is that she's sexy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you are a dick. I hate yeah. you. You're such a well. Tool. You see, I I. I mean, the thing is that um, <laughs> the accent on Shop Around the Corner is on on feeling, yeah, mm. on love of literature, on what literature tells us about being human that they both share, right? So, so it's about establishing a world of shared ideals, yeah, of like-mindedness, right? Uh, and of course... You know, that is, theoretically is also the case, yeah, with You've Got Mail, mm. uh, except... As you say, then so much of the emphasis is on, you know, the looks, and of course the looks are mentioned. You know, we're told how pretty yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, Clara is, but not too pretty. <laughs> you know, be- yeah? yeah. So all of that, I think, is 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 just so much better for me. Um, the the film puts this accent on feeling is so important, and also, I think, you know, from the moment. I mean, again, here talking just about cinematic devices and the use of them and, you know, making them expressive. Such little delicate things in You've Got Mail. When James Stewart first asked Perovich, look, listen to this, right? And his voice hushes as he reads the letter. Mm. Yeah, and it's almost like by, by hushing the voice, you get into a world of feeling. Yeah, it's almost like a mm. musical number in a way, but, you know, yeah, dreamy and hushed. There's nothing like that in You've Got Mail. No, absolutely. <laughs> I think the performances and the direction of the performances is a lot better in Shop Around the Corner, and it's much more evocative. And um, that entire segment in the centre where um, Mr. Manjek uh, sacks um, James Stewart, yes. and he slowly, solemnly says all his goodbyes to the staff and gives them, you know, says something to them all, leaves. And the, and the scene just keeps on going, right? It doesn't just end. It keeps on moving. Then the staff are told, don't bother. You, know, you can all go home now. So they all rush to go home and go to their parties or whatever they're doing. And then it still doesn't end. And then the kid comes in and eventually the kid, that's when he walks into the office and sees um, Mr. Manchek. Uh, with a gun to his head, you, you know you don't see it, and then you go in and you just see Mister Manischik having been saved from suicide with his look on his face. It's like this is a film that you know if this this is a romantic comedy that uh, has a sort of central scene that ends on a suicide attempt around Christmas. Yes, and really, it's and there's a, there's such a drop in mood and it's so deftly handled. Yes, and there's nothing that nothing could you know you couldn't imagine that in um, you've got mail. Like I mean, everything there and is geared towards um, the laugh and the charm. Yeah, something that's just occurred to me, actually, after seeing 
shop around the corner so many times over so many years and you've made me think of it so is the way that the film so beautifully charts different kinds of love throughout the course of its film yeah so on the one hand clara and alfred are falling in love yeah and you know and and hating each other and so on right but that's the relationship that's blooming right on the other hand you have mr and mrs matichek which is the relationship that's dying right you know then you also have the gigolo which is like you know doing it for money right then you also have a sense you know that uh ilona yeah one of the women clerks is is also you know she's she's getting a bit old or whatever but yeah, that she's also having sex with money for reasons that are not necessarily to do with love, right? Mm-hmm. Her silver fox at the beginning, yeah, mm. uh, still. And then, of course, you have Pepe, right? Yeah, you see that girl over there? I'm her Santa Claus, yeah, who's beginning <laughs> to date and, yeah? And then the happily married man in it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so you think how beautifully structured the film is, yeah, that it kind of shows you all of these different... Yeah, kinds of relationships, yeah, at almost every stage in human life or something, and yeah, yeah. of different kinds. Nothing like that, and you've got <laughs> now, right? No, it's re- it's really narrowly focused on the two of them. Um. They yeah, they have their, they do have their partners who you know relationships end up breaking up so that the main two can come together. Yes, um, which actually was kind of interesting where uh, where Meg Ryan breaks up with Greg Kinnear. Because um, Greg Kinnear uh, has sort of fallen for this um, TV personality who's into him, and he takes to a cafe to break up and and this thing of oh, I don't love you and it's very awkward. He doesn't know how to get the words out, but you really feel like he's an honest person ultimately who's just fallen for someone else. Mm. And he says, you know, I, I don't love you anymore, and and she says, oh, I don't love you anymore, and immediately it's like it's kind of fine. And I thought it was an interesting scene because you can sort of see that like there's something very plausible about you know actually it being okay that. Two people realize, oh, actually, we just we're not right for each other anymore, and that's okay. And and that that leap from the awkwardness of being the one to have to say this to finding out that actually this is just the right thing, we both get it, is kind of nice. Yes, um, this- I don't know. I mean, I thought um, that so many of those things in You've Got Mail were stunty. Mm. Yeah, they didn't feel real and they didn't connect and they didn't feel organic, right? So the stepmother who makes a pass. Mm. at him right and then runs off with a nanny yeah like kind of so it's almost like each of those elements is meant to be a joke right but this somehow doesn't connect to get together with a, a person or at least it doesn't to me I'll tell you one thing that does and this goes back to Joe being a dick is when he says he's broken up with the Parker Posey character yeah he breaks up with her and then, and then he tells his dad and his dad says something like kind of get a number or she'd be intimate or something like yeah. that and it's just a joke it is just a joke, but you also get like, oh, this is why, this is who this guy's dad is. That's why he is who he is. Yeah, yeah. I know that, like, Joe is a dick because his dad is a dick. Yeah. Well, there is that. <laughs> um, anyway, perhaps I've talked too much about, you know, because I do think that The Shop Around the Corner is one of the masterpieces of cinema. And I don't think that You've Got Mail is. No. Yeah, which is not to say that I think You've Got Mail is a bad or unenjoyable film. Yeah, it has a lot of pleasures. Uh, and, you know, New York is one of them. I do actually very much like uh, uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in it, you know. Uh, 
and I particularly love the soundtrack. I, I actually think that the soundtrack, to me, makes the movie. The yes. soundtrack and the locations make the movie. You know, because the soundtrack is absolutely brilliant. And sometimes it brings energy or feeling where actually the film itself is not conveying it. It's being conveyed through the music. Yeah. I think it's something that I said to you before. I forget which film it was, and you disagreed at the time. But I said, bringing in this piece of music at this point is cheating. Because I think Actually, it was a portrait of a lady on fire, a portrait of a young girl on fire, um, where it's uh, uh, Vivaldi at the end, Summer. Hmm. Um, the presto from it and it's so powerful that like you could play that over anything and it would be powerful at the end of this when Somewhere of the Rainbow plays that version and it's it's, it's very beautiful. very beautiful yeah. and they see each other you know that made me feel something and I'm going the only reason I'm feeling something is because of this music I felt that way at that very moment as well yeah. you know because before I was admiring the music it's got a great soundtrack right and you know kind of I was just like I'm enjoying it really previously but at that moment, I thought this feeling should be coming from the scene, mm. not from this music. The music is telling me that this scene is romantic. Right. And actually, I've been so suspicious of this relationship all along that I do not think it is. Mm. <laughs> and, and I resent the music making me feel something. Mm. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> so angry at it. Though I do, you know, that line of, I hope there was you or whatever the I line wished, is. I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you. I thought... What a betrayal of the original premise. Like, you know, <laughs> at least Clara has her self-respect. Yeah, she's willing to be single and continue supporting her mother, you know, and her aunt, right, if she doesn't fall truly in love and if, you know, her partner isn't who she wants it to be. Mm. Whereas, like, I wish it was you, really. What you get in this, it, it, what you get in You've Got Mail, which um, you get a lot less of in The Shop Around the Corner, is um, reading from the, from the correspondence. Yes. You you listen to them as they are corresponding live, right? like they are sending emails to each other, like that. So they're not waiting for letters to come back and forth through the post. And at one point, like I say, they, they start using instant messenger as well. It's not just email. Um, and and it's like there's like a kind of Sex in the City voiceover as they're composing, you know, the emails. Um, I think that's quite effective, though. It, it with Joe's character in particular, there's something psychopathic about. Like the the version of himself that is his inner monologue and his private self, and the version of himself that is this ruthless businessman, you know, like they 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 are such different people. Although there is um, that one point where I think it's quite early on where he says, oh, "I'm a businessman," and then he starts giving um, shop girl as she is uh, advice on how to keep this big business from you know uh, mm. um, destroying hers. Um, and he says, you've got to be ruthless, it's not personal, it's business, that's a line that keeps coming back. Yes. Um, so, you know, they're not. he's not a completely different person uh, in private to the public persona. But mm. um, I mean, the whole thing about The Godfather is something that I'm always very suspicious of, yeah, because mm. it's not the first movie to kind of live, it's where characters live their life by quotes from The Godfather, right? That's almost a trope in films and television shows of the last 20 years. Um, but there's something very unattractive about those films and television shows that do. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, the whole thing about The Godfather is it's meant to be a critique of America and capitalism. And actually the way that the characters behave in The Godfather itself is seen as being very bad. Right? You know, whereas actually kind of, you know, here you have the Greg Kinnear character and 
the Tom Hanks character, like quoting lines from The Godfather as if it's a, a, a code of ethics to live by. I mean, this is this bit really made me laugh, and I think it is more resonant now than it was then. The Godfather bit because they're having this, having this, you know, online correspondence. And it's just these short messages going back and forth, and then he says the line from The Godfather, and she says, "What's that?" And he says, "Oh, you don't know The Godfather? Oh, every line in it is meaningful. This line means this. This line means that. Every line in it, and it, and it's a long message. And I'm like, I know this guy. I've been this guy. I've been the guy who sits there telling people for four hours what The Godfather means. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm with, like, actually not The Godfather because I don't know The Godfather that well, but that kind of thing. Yes. And women are so used to hearing that. Like more now than never, and there's a brilliant article um, on McSweeney's, uh, which is called. It's by Ali uh, Elkin, and it's called "An Oral History of Quentin Tarantino as Told to Me by Men I've Dated." <laughs> and the idea is like she's never seen Pulp Fiction, but every guy she's dated has told her what a brilliant film it is and gone on at length. Yeah, it's a really, really good article worth reading. And like this is exactly that. Right. And also, there's it reminded me of a bit in uh, what's the Gwyneth Paltrow one, Sliding Doors. Which came out at around the same time, I think, 97, 98, something like that. Where the uh, main character, the male love interest, quotes the Spanish Inquisition scene from Monty Python at length. He doesn't like he doesn't do anything with it, he just quotes it and his friends laugh. And Gwyneth Paltrow laughs. He's like, Gwyneth Paltrow is not seduced by that. No, I can tell you, no one no woman is seduced by quoting Monty Python. (laughs) 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 And it's the same sort of thing, like this. You know, well, actually, I was going to say this has been written by a guy. This is what guys think. This was written by a woman, yes. two women, and apparently, this. Well, to be fair, she's not seduced by it. She she doesn't question it. She believes it. So that's why I think is unrealistic about the Godfather. But here, she like takes the advice, mm. um, whereas she should be going, "Oh God, fuck this guy." Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway. remind me of that. Like it, it struck me, even if it didn't mean to, it struck me as very, very true to life that guys just get tunnel vision about doing that. Sure. You know, and, like and I've that, just done in a way. Yes, and that could be seen as a critique in the film, right? Um, you know, it's true. I mean, it's interesting. You know, because Nora Ephron is a very interesting person. You know, as as a writer and as a personality and as a humorist, really. Um, and she comes from a long line of you know screenwriters. Her parents were screenwriters, mm. um, but. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. Maybe the reason also why she was so successful is because she's so uncritical of everything that is successful, you know, including The Godfather. Do you um, think that the um, Starbucks thing is... uh placement. No, no, I wasn't going to say that. It might well be. I, I was it, it definitely was. I, <laughs> I was going to say um, more subversive than initially because, like, the central uh, conflict um, superficially between uh, the main characters in You've Got Mail is that... Meg Ryan owns a small children's bookshop and Tom Hanks runs the giant sort of Waterstones type, um, actually these days would be more like an Amazon, you know, mm. bookshop that is coming in and taking everything over. It's building a massive store. It's going to cannibalise the entire area. Um, and she's very, very against that. But ultimately, you know, she gets put out of business and she's angry, but, well, she's angry, but um, she doesn't seem to suffer any initial or any immediate financial and neither do any of her staff, seemingly. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. But um, Though, isn't there a line that they all go to work for Fox or something? Yeah, um, I think so, which is... Uh, well, well, actually, something similar happened in Black Books, it, it, which was the Channel 4 sitcom about a small bookshop, and then a giant bookshop called Goliath Books opens next door, and they all, I think, some of them go work for that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so, so the giant bookshop comes in, and big, kind of faceless capitalism is bad, and keeping the small, independent bookshop alive is good 
Um, but she goes to Starbucks, mm. and as you say, right, this has this is product placement. Like, there's no way this this is not a, a moneyed transaction between Starbucks and the producers. But um, you know, is it kind of you know, Starbucks is like kind of the archetypal, or at least was at the time, the archetypal company that was coming in and putting independent coffee shops out of business. Yes. Um, you know, is there something about that that is is it more subversive than it seems that she believes one thing in one part of her life, but in the other, she's happy to get the $2.50, you know, mocking. Well, you just don't think that she's thoughtful enough to be kind of critical in those ways, that she actually probably hasn't given any thought in so, except in so far. Do you mean the filmmaker or the character? Well, both, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, so the character, insofar as it affects herself, you know, and the film is pro-business like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not at all critical of Fox. Why would it be critical of uh, uh, Starbucks? Yeah, and what happens at the end, right, is that is because they fall in love and it's all great, um, isn't there a bit in the in the big giant bookshop, the Fox bookshop, that is like the corner um, that Meg Ryan reads to kids in. Isn't there like a bit of that? Well, so it's like it kind of... It... That's set up from the beginning of the film. So every yeah. bit of the bookshop is working except that because they have that competition. Once the competition is over, you know, that bit of Fox Books becomes like the shop around the corner. Mm. And so, you know, the film is basically telling you nothing is being lost. And actually, you know, aren't these big shops better anyway? They have big chairs and, you know, you can sit there and while away the day and... You know, and so on. Actually, Lawrence was very interesting about this, and you know, it could very well be true. In my experience, it's not true. You know, because um, you know, you used to go into these little corner bookshops, and everyone would know all the books they owned, and they would recommend things, and they would get them for you, and you could have a chat, and so on. I mean, that has never been my experience uh, in uh, uh, you know, big chain Waterstones or whatever. Even when they did have comfy sofas and whatever, I've never, you know. Other people have, I, I acknowledge, you know, while the way the day there or whatever, you know, but it's never felt cozy and intimate and, you know, you having an exchange over the years with people, you know, like like I had with other bookshops, you know, particularly in my youth. Mm. Um, so, you know, but Lawrence very interestingly pointed out that that type of bookshop has grown and died in our, yeah, our lifetime. The big corporate bookshop. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Amazon yeah. and so, online retailing. So we've lived through the period where, you know, that huge Waterstone thing ate up all the little bookshops. The little bookshops disappeared. And now the big chain shops have disappeared because of Amazon. So that period actually didn't last very long. No. Yeah. Uh, which is a different kind of argument, I suppose, but an interesting one. Mm. Um, one thing that I really liked about You've Got Mail um, is that I liked the supporting turns. Yeah. Which aren't given nearly as much space as yes. as they are in the shop around the corner, where they're given whole storylines. Yes. Um, but in this, particularly, um, let me find the name. Um, it's got a great comic uh, supporting cast. Uh, Heather Burns, who plays Christina, ah. who's the kind of the slowish hmm. girl um, who who works in the children's bookshop, is wonderful. I don't remember any particular line she has, but I love her presence and her style and her tone. She does very much the same thing in Miss Congeniality mm. a couple of years later where she plays kind of a slow but very friendly mm. you know um, girl who's lovely and Steve Zahn yes, who I plays George is fantastic and he's got in fact he's got the first line that I laughed at which is where he comes in they're talking about um, cyber sex and he comes in and they ask him 
and he just stands there and says, "Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's just another way to uh, the internet's just another way to get rejected by women." <laughs> yeah. And it's wonderful. Yeah. And he has a real Gen X like. Actually, he's kind of out of place. He's like he's like a West Coast surfer grunge guy almost. Yeah. Or transplanted into New York, but he really works, and I like him a lot. And actually, he has the other line that I really loved, which is not a comic line. It's where um, Joe comes in to sort of inspect this bookshop at the start. Mm. And he's looking at some book that's autographed and very expensive and whatever. Yes, and he I, says, I remember that line. And he goes, oh, that's why it costs so much. Mm. And Steve Zahn goes, that's, that's why it's, it's worth, worth so much. much. Which is a great line and that's really good. insightful and perceptive. I like that. I also, I love Gene Stapleton, the old lady accountant. Yeah. Yeah. And she brought an incredible amount of warmth, you know, in the sense of a real person, yeah, into what is really a nothing of a part. Uh, I also love Dabney Coleman, who is Tom Hanks's father. Mm. You know, because he's got that superficial, yeah, and he he has a great way with a line as well. Mm. Um, so you know, it has a great supporting cast, but it just doesn't add up to the warmth, the truth, you know, the sense of a life. And yeah, of people living it and an insight into it, uh, and also it doesn't have jokes, you know. No, not as many, and mostly not as good. Yeah, it's got so, some. It's, it's got, got some. some. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, what well, it's got, it's got more than some. Let's be fair. And there was, a, and there's a reason that the film was such a huge success, which it was. Yeah. It made two hundred fifty million dollars. Yes. In 1998, um, which, which was is, a lot of money. It was a sociological phenomenon, right? Yeah. The film. And someone was saying on your on your. Facebook feed that they were just watching an episode of Friends that happened to have a reference to it in it. Yes. Like it was everywhere. Yeah, know? it was everywhere. Friends, I suppose, also shares that thing of um, uh, sort of very well-off people in New York who, no matter what their job situation, they always seem to have enough money, enough time. Yes. Yes. You know, so how's that? Yes, it's a film made for them. The last thing I want to think about um, and I'll, really, I'm asking if you have any thoughts about it. Is the comparison between Hanks and Stewart um, not as performers in these particular films, but as actors and personas more generally? Like, I think they are they are kind of compared. I think. Well, I think they're both uh, very warm, everyman, mm. right? I love them both. I think they're both very good. I mean, I do think you know James Stewart is fantastic in this. Mm. Um, I think as actors um, each of them is considered like the great everyman actor of his generation I think James Stewart had more range Mm. you know I think uh, uh, you know James Stewart did screwball comedies right and he did romantic comedies which Tom Hanks does he did serious drama which Tom Hanks does. But then, you know, James Stewart did, you know, he was a Western star, yeah? Mm. Uh, uh, Tom Hanks has done a Western. You can't quite imagine Tom <laughs> Hanks in a Western, really. No. Uh, so, so, I mean, I think that's the only way, you know. I, I like Tom Hanks more in some ways, because with Tom Hanks, you always get a sense of an intelligence, right, mm. that... Um, is not the most striking thing about James Stewart, particularly in his later years, right? He does he does kind of grasping for trying to understand what's going on quite well. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you never get the sense of evilness and anger that, that uh, or 
um, you know, if you think of vertigo, yeah, mm-hmm. that sense of possessive jealousy desire. Mm. You've never seen that in Tom Hanks either. So, you know, the vengeance and nastiness, you know, you see in some of the Anthony Mann westerns. I've never seen Tom Hanks do that. I could have missed something, you know. Uh, And also that kind of just possessive jealousy desire that you see in, in stuff like Vertigo. I've never seen Tom Hanks do that either. I recorded a podcast very recently with Russell... Um, Bailey, who um, yeah. I went to uni with, and, yeah, yeah. you know, um, he does a podcast called Not Just for Kids, and we spoke about Indiana Jones and more generally Spielberg on it. And I was talking about the mo- the most recent Spielbergs that I've really loved, really enjoyed, have been with Tom Hanks, uh-huh. um, The Post, um, Bridge of Spies. Um, I love Catch Me If You Can as well, which is a little bit older. Um, and I think you know, there's there's, there's something about the, the, them two together which is wonderful but there's something that I'm very suspicious of when the two of them are together which is like because because they are so giving me something that's comfortable Always. I'm very suspicious think, about that I do think, you think that's something that James Stewart ever no promoted? I think James, James Stewart made you uncomfortable in some of the, the things you know you've got a real sense of anger and vengeance and meanness in, in, in some of the parts that he played uh and actually, I see that as a problem with both Tom Hanks and uh, uh, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. And mm-hmm. that's the reason why we feel differently about The Post and The Bridge. You know, I just kind of think um, it's, it's too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Your words are, are right. I agree with that. But I think that's also true of some of Tom Hanks' performances. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah, like, is that... It, it's this thing about the, the everyman... Um, with Tom Hanks, I think it's really, really right to say I can't think of a villainous performance, or at least a, or at least a great villainous performance. He may have done small parts, saying, and in this, I suppose I consider him kind of a villain, and you've got mail, but that's not what he's supposed to be. No, he's supposed to be charming and romantic and so on. And also, you know, I think, I think you can see, you can see somebody like Tom Hanks maybe at his greatest do something like um, it's a wonderful life. Mm. Yeah, but I can't really see him do, you know, the nastier edged Western roles. You know, I just can't. I'm just looking uh, at Tom Hanks' films just to see if anything villainous stands out. I bet there won't be a thing. Um, and let me let me point let me get uh, um, James Stewart's um, filmography out, and I'll I'll give you a whole list. <laughs> a lot of his earlier stuff I don't actually know Tom Hanks, um, but. I don't think anything stands out. Then you get to Sleeps in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, Same Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, The Green Mile, Castaway, he's the, you know, he's the guy. Road to Perdition, I haven't seen Road to Perdition, this is what I'm saying, so I, I, you know, I don't think it went down amazingly well. Made, made good money, but... And, and yet, is he supposed to be villainous in that? I think that was supposed to be the film where he like, was doing something different. <laughs> And yet, if you look at things like uh, The Naked Spur, right, um, or even The Man Who Knew Too Much, the Hitchcock film, yeah, um, and then if you compare that to Vertigo, uh, you know, and Anatomy of a Murder, mm. right, like, I mean, you know, that, that's a whole range that I think we haven't seen uh, in... Uh, uh, Tom Hanks. So, you know, we've seen the Frank Capra 
James Stewart style in Tom Hanks, but we haven't seen neither the Hitchcock nor the Anthony Mann side of uh, uh, James Stewart. Uh, of Tom Hanks? Of Tom Hanks, yes. Mm. Yeah, now I'm just looking through, it's, it's very... Unless, unless um, Larry Crown or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close have kind of villainous aspects, which I don't know. Charlie Wilson's War, I don't know. I don't think so, though. Cloud Atlas had some kind of villainous-ish parts, but then there were lots of parts in that, and it's not really... Doesn't, yeah. doesn't really... You know, Captain Phillips, Saving Mr. Banks, Bridge of Spies, Sully. I mean, Sully is the all-American hero. He he stopped the... You know, he did the anti-9-11, mm. saving the plane from hitting any buildings in New York. And then he ended up playing uh, Mr. Rogers. I mean, Jesus. And everyone's going, oh, he's perfect for it. Well, of course he of is. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 let me just look something up. Yeah. So this is... A description of um, the Naked Spur, where uh, uh, Stewart plays a bounty hunter who tries to bring a murderer to justice and is forced to accept the help of two strangers who are less than trustworthy. Kemp, played by James Stewart, it's revealed that he's no law- lawman and that the bottom of the wanted poster for him offers 5000 to whoever brings him in. You know, you get uh, a, a, a real kind of dark uh, and... Uh, you know, a dark side to the Western hero that uh, James Stewart brings that has a fierceness and an anger, yeah, and a kind of a lawlessness that you don't see in Tom Hanks. Mm. No, I think the vertigo uh, comparison is a really apt one. Like, there is no vertigo for, for Tom Hanks, yeah. and you can't really imagine there being one, even though in this I do see him as kind of a psychopath stalker. Yes. <laughs> Well, he's not meant to he's be. He's meant to be a charming kind <laughs> yeah, exactly. of uh, romantic comedy hero. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we've seen both uh, The Shop Around the Corner and You've Got Mail, both very recently. I've um, very much enjoyed both, though I do think that, like, Shop Around the Corner is one of the sublime masterpieces of cinema. I don't know how often I've seen it. Uh, and I still laugh at every joke, actually. It's so interesting, because you know the surprise, yeah, you mm. know the punchline, and it still uh, moves me very deeply, actually. You know, particularly the Frank Morgan character. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, I think, you know, the older I get, the more I identify with him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I liked Shop Around the Corner more than You've Got Mail. I appreciate the um, everything that the surrounding cast is given to do. I do think the romantic story would focus from a slightly bigger, uh, slightly bigger focus, but yeah, you know, kind of by the by, um, you've got mail has its charms as well, and I've maybe not been that fair to them, but yeah, you know, they are there. But um, for the most part, I I think it's kind of emblematic of of something about modern romantic comedies that I just don't get on with very much. Hmm. Um, I love modern romantic comedies. I mean, you know, and you can't expect all of them to be, you know, as great as um, The Shop Around the Corner. Uh, but, you know, I do think that certainly uh, You've Got Mail has very low expectations in relation to what The Shop Around the Corner actually provides, which is not just a romance, but it's a depiction of a whole world, really, mm-hmm. yeah, and a critique of it. Yeah, which definitely you've got mail 
in my view, does not provide. Mm. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, I think, all the podcast providers. (laughs) And our social media is uh, Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. Um, And our website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.